Turn in your Bibles, first of all, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Get your ink pens out today, mark your Bibles, then when you go back years later, remember what that means and what that says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. This is not our text for today, but I'll explain why I'm reading that. I believe you stand here uh, as we read. We will do different things. We'll sometimes read responsively. Sometimes I'll have someone read. Sometimes I'll read. Sometimes maybe our youth group will have a little skit and introduce a message with a five-minute skit or something. But, and so I, I change it up a lot. In fact, uh, when I preached last time in Matthew and we were out on the water and the mega storm came, some of you remember me being here this message is nothing like that. We're in the Old Testament today in the book of Exodus. So just uh, bear with me. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Now all these things happen to them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Now, the word examples is a Greek word tupos, and we get our word type from that. So it's saying here that all the Old Testament examples are types for us. And they're types of who? the Lord Jesus, and many great stories connected to our Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask him to bless uh, the message today. I'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for how awesome you are, and for the fact that you sent a perfect lamb, a lamb that never sinned, to shed his blood to redeem us from all of our sin. Lord, we pray today that everything that is said and done from this point on and and every week we're here on Wednesday nights, every moment we're together is done to your honor and glory. That I'll say what needs to be said and that each person will examine their heart and the Holy Spirit will work on each of us in a different way. Help us not to come and, and think about things, problems we are facing and circumstances and just to think about you, Jesus, for these few moments. We ask all these things and we ask them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to look back at the Old Testament for some of that typology. We're in Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 and following. Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 and following. While you're looking there, I heard uh, someone say there was a clop, 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 a bang, bang, and a clop, clop, clop. I said, what was it? They said it was an Amish drive-by shooting. Anyway, Exodus chapter 15. Israel had just finished crossing the Red Sea. Can, can you imagine that? I mean the sea parts. Deep, deep waters. There's a mountain of water on either side, and they go through, and a liberal one side said, well, it was dry season, there was six inches of water. Well, then that's a great miracle, too, because six inches of water dr drowned all those Egyptian soldiers. But anyway, I'm going too fast. But here... What a miracle. And they are singing the songs of Moses and the songs of Miriam. They're just praising God and rejoicing. What a great experience. Have you had an experience like that in your life? Your salvation should be. And maybe we don't see miracles like that today, but they're still happening in our hearts. And God is still God and can still move the waters if he needs to. And so here they've just finished this great, great miracle, seeing the greatness of God, and now we find them complaining. Complaining. The word murmuring is used. It means to complain because the water, they don't have water. Now, that's understandable because they had been three days without water. A lot of times we judge Israel kind of harshly. They were sinning when they were complaining, and it made God angry. But let's remember 
Three days without water, just think of that. Today you would probably die because it would take an act of God to keep you alive more than 72 hours without water. It's amazing to me when we talk about all the miracles in the Bible to think that Moses fasted twice for 40 days without food or water for 40 days. And both times Yahweh was with him, the I am of the Old Testament, who we believe is Jesus. And then in the New Testament, of course, Jesus fasted for 40 days. But they're three days without water. And the Bible says they were complaining. Then they're satisfied. And then we find them in chapter 16, they're pouting. Because of hunger, they're satisfied again. Then in the next chapter, the next verse, actually, they're complaining again because they don't have anything to drink. And the Bible says God sends them to the rock. And who is the rock? 1 Corinthians 10, 14 tells us what that's a type of. The Lord Jesus, who's the rock in the weary land. He's the rock of our salvation. He's the cornerstone of the church. He's the head of the church, the headstone of the church. And so we find here <clears throat> that they have all these things going on in their lives. And they don't know how to deal with it. They had all the praising and singing the songs of Moses and Miriam. What happened to the singing? It's gone now. They're complaining. Must be Monday morning. Church is over. And so, uh, you know, we, we find so many of these great water miracles in the Bible. Now, today our subject is a tree of life. Not the tree of life that you find in Genesis and Revelation, but a tree of life. There are so many great water miracles. We think of uh, the water of the Red Sea, but we also know the Jordan River was parted. Now, while the Jordan's not as big as the Red Sea, uh, I've been there and baptized there, and there's several feet of water. That was a miracle. And the Bible said the Levites could carry the ark across that dry ground and, and enter into a new land. So there's great, great, great miracles, water miracles, so many of the Jordan River, water into blood. Water into wine, walking on the water, the rock we mentioned, the 40 days and 40 nights of rain, the three years of drought, the calming of the sea, the river of life. You know, the water of the world never satisfies spiritually or permanently, but the water of life does. And Jesus is the water of life, isn't he? And he satisfies. I, I, I like the greatness of the Hagar story. She's been cast out, but God wakes her up and points to a well of water. And then we go over to the New Testament. We find in John 4, the woman at the well, and Jesus talks about living water. She says, give me this water. Because Jesus says often, if any man thirst, let him come and drink. Now think of other great water miracles. Before we look at ours, we're still introducing the passage. But think of the Dead Sea and what an object lesson that is. When you're flying over Israel, you see the beautiful blue Dead Sea. Now, I've been swimming there, and you can't really uh, sink. As you walk out, all of a sudden, your feet aren't touching the ground because you're floating. The salt content is so thick that nothing can live. It's such a beautiful body of water, but it's dead. Isn't that like sin? Isn't that like sin? It looks great. But what does sin bring about? The wages of sin is death. And then think about this, the Dead Sea. The Jordan River flows into it, but nothing flows out. It's just like sin. It takes and takes and takes, but never gives anything it promises. Water just evaporates. Some say it goes down into the earth, but that Jordan River flows in and nothing flows out. Then you think of the lukewarm water of Laodicea. If you were to go to the valley of Laodicea, you'd find calcium deposits in the valley. 
they had to go up where it was running to get the water to drink. But if they drank out of the water in the valley, it was lukewarm, it would make them vomit. And that's what Jesus said. Lukewarm Christians make me want to spew them out of my mouth. That means vomit. Another great water object lesson. And then finally, the spring of Engedi. And I've been there and I've, drank, I've had a drink from that spring. That's where David, the region he was hiding from Saul, probably sent his servants down to get that running water. What a beautiful river that is coming down the side of that mountain and also connecting and flowing into the Dead Sea. So many great water miracles. Well, today we're going to look at another water miracle. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. Interesting, this is the same area where Hagar had been cast out and was thinking she was going to die of thirst. And of course, we know she saw the water there and we know uh, the angel came and pointed that out to her. I like how the angel found her. And I think so much of how uh, so many stories in the Bible where he found someone, the blind man. The Pharisees cast him out. Jesus found him. Do you know that the world cast me out? Jesus found me. He found you as well. Amen? He's, a, he's an awesome Savior. We should be searching for him, and many do. But he's also searching for us. Isn't that something? Long before he ever knew you, long before you ever knew him, I shouldn't say that. Long before you ever knew him, he always knew you. He knew of you. He was searching for you. He, was, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm thankful that he sought me out. But we find here, uh, they're, they're three days in the wilderness and eventually 40 years in the wilderness. Now, Jesus, of course, passed two tests in his life. Great test, three-day test on Calvary and 40 days where he didn't eat or drink. So he passed those tests. But Israel's not going to pass them for a while. The wilderness is a type of the world and a type of testing. Now look at verse 23. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of the place was called Marah. Marah is a Hebrew word. It means bitter. Do you remember the Naomi story in Ruth? She lost her sons and her husband. She comes back to her people and she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi meant pleasant. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Now think about names in the Old Testament. Oftentimes they were given by divine inspiration. God would, would actually tell them what to name their children because God had a plan. You know, sometimes he told them to change their name. Abraham, from Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, and Jacob to Israel, and, and so on. There's many like that. But here, here is Naomi. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because God's been unfair with me. Now you think about it from our perspective. She lost her two sons and her husband. She didn't seem to have anything left. You can understand the bitterness. Still sin. Still sin. There's a root of bitterness, and that has to come out sometimes. And let me just stop here and talk a while about bitterness, because some of you are struggling with bitterness. I'm just taking percentages, I guess, to think in a church of 100 and something people or whatever are here, that you're having a battle with bitterness. Did you know that's sinful? You say, but you don't know what I've been through. And maybe from a human perspective, I could say, well, I would probably be bitter as well. But do you know what bitterness does? It's like cancer. It eats at you and eats at you. And the people you're bitter at, they're not suffering. You are. 
They sometimes don't even know that you're bitter at them. Or maybe they do and, and you say, I want them to come crawling to me and beg for forgiveness. Wait a minute. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, you can't expect to make everybody humble themselves before you. You need to ask God to give you grace to forgive. And you may have been through something that I couldn't have handled. I don't know. Whether it's a mother or a father or, or, or a, a friend that betrayed you or a job or a company that cheated you out of money. I mean, we could go on and on because there's a lot of causes for bitterness. But bitterness is sin and it always hurts. It always hurts. And it's always going to hurt your walk with Christ. And the Bible says if you don't forgive others... He doesn't forgive you. So bitterness is killing your, your prayer time. It's killing your devotional time. It's taking your peace and joy. It's eating you up. And you're not going to be a successful fruit-bearing Christian until you get rid of that bitterness. And I tell you what, I wouldn't care if someone got up right now and came forward and prayed. That's all right. Anytime the altar is always open, we say, but we want to, don't want to be distracted from our great sermons. Well, our sermons aren't so great. The Lord is great. And the Holy Spirit is great, and He'll speak to your heart, and you be obedient no matter whatever affects you in messages or from the Word of God. Always be willing right then and there. I've known people that my dad, for instance, was driving on the road, made a huge decision in his life, and uh, what, a, what a decision he made, spontaneous, he acted, and he never went back to that old sin in his life. He'd been a Christian many years. So never say, well, God, it's not convenient to be saved today. I'll wait for a more convenient day. Hey, you could go out and get in a wreck and be killed today and, and be lost for eternity. Never put off, you know, this, this may be the moment of, of your salvation or your experience that helps you to be a Christian that's successful. But bitterness just tears people apart. And now the children of Israel are upset because the water's bitter. And they complain. And the people, verse 24, murmured against Moses. Not quite as hard as chapter 17, verse 2, there's a word uh, chide, which means to contend. The children of Israel were a contentious bride to God. The Bible says God even divorced the children of Israel. I mean, uh, they were contentious. And they contended with Moses. We don't like it that we aren't taken care of. What kind of a leader are you? It's always amazing how when there's problems in any organization, the poor leader gets the blame. I remind people in churches, because we're talking to a church this morning, that the people responsible for growing a church are the members. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, the pastor teacher is supposed to feed them. And that feeding them equips them, and they're to go out and do the work of the ministry. So the church just isn't growing. The church isn't growing any church. Spiritually, pastor has to feed the flock so they can grow spiritually. But when you're not growing numerically and you're not happy, then get out, roll up your sleeves, and go to work for God. Witness to your neighbor. Tell a friend. Be evangelistic. But here, the children of Israel, they've chosen to murmur. And then in chapter 17, they murmur and then they complain 12 times. A perfect dozen, they complained, complained against Moses and complained while they're in the wilderness. Aren't you glad, like David said in the 103rd Psalm, he was thankful that God doesn't deal with us according to our sins or punish us according to our iniquities. Aren't you thankful for his mercy? Without God's mercy, 
I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be saved. I'd probably be in jail somewhere. But it was a merciful God that didn't punish me and give me what I deserve. I could tell you things I've done in my life and you could tell me things you've done. And we've received mercy many times, haven't we? And the grace of God as well. We don't deserve that either. It's by God's grace and mercy. I'm even in ministry at all. And I know that I made so many mistakes. I could tell you many, many stories about 10 years in Panama, starting a church at 27 years old, being there for 10 years and finally be able to give those buildings and parsonage to a Spanish missionary because that side of the canal was closing. But I'm telling you, I could write a book on mistakes that I made the first 10 years of pastoring. I mean, I did some of the dumbest things known to mankind as a pastor. Thought I was doing right, didn't pray enough. I didn't use that discernment, didn't trust enough in the aged saints in my church to ask for their input and advice. And I just went and I hauled off. One of my secretaries one time said, Dan, you're kind of a haul offer. You get a thing and you, and you go with it. Sometimes it's good, you know, but sometimes it's terribly bad. And then I, I went to a church in Okinawa, a great big church, and I kept making mistakes. But you know what? Those mistakes have taught me, and I've learned from those. And I realize that we will make mistakes because we are sinful beings. We carry around a sinful body, and we carry that dead sinful body for the rest of our lives. One day we'll put on a new tabernacle, amen? Last week I was in Florida and spoke on the tabernacle. Oh, what a wonderful thing it's going to be to get a new tabernacle one day. You know, as you get older, you just realize more and more how you want a new body. You know, I'm only 63 only. I mean, the young people are saying, whoa, this guy's really going downhill quick. But, but uh, you know, when I, I look at someone who's 80, hey, I got to, you know, I'm a little bit behind them, you know. But the fact of the matter is, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And God used me in spite of myself. That's what's always alarming when I look in the mirror of the Word of God, as James calls it, the glass of the Word, and I see myself, I'm like, oh, maybe if I grow a beard like Aaron to my waist, it'll cover up some of my sin. I don't know. I do know it won't. You can't cover it up, you know. You know, people who do some things that are bad, they're ashamed. They try to look different when they go out in public. But you know, God sees us. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. And I'm a long ways from the bitter water of Mara, but I don't know. Sometimes the Lord just has us do this. But he's watching your life and he knows everything that's going on. Well, let's look. The next verse, the Bible says in verse 25, and he cried unto the Lord. I love that about Moses. He intercedes all the time. He cries unto the Lord and look what it says. And the Lord showed him a tree. And the Lord showed him a tree. Probably a palm tree, but we don't know. This area was known for palm trees. It was a desert and uh, probably a palm tree. But I think about, about this. Peter said, who bore his, our sins on his own body on a tree. Galatians says, quoting Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That was a Persian way of killing people who had done something wrong, crucifying them. And so here he says, a tree. And the Bible says here, he showed him a tree, which when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Now turn with me to Job 17. 
The only reason I'm doing this is when I'm speaking to you, I'll quite often say, this Hebrew word or this Greek word is translated this way over in this part of the Bible. So you're going to find a word over in Job chapter 17. Job chapter 17. Keep your finger in Exodus. Job chapter 17 and verse 12 says this. They change the night. Now, that word change. It's that simple word change. I want you to do this a couple times the first few weeks I preach, so when I say it, you'll believe and you can look it up later. It'll save us a little time, but I want you to see this. That Hebrew word, back in Exodus, is the same word translated made. Made. So he took a tree, threw it in the water, and it changed the water from bitter to sweet, or it made the water sweet. Both those words are the same Hebrew word. So here the water is made sweet. Think about that for a minute with me. What an object lesson. What a type. Do you know there's a tree that made my bitterness sweet? There's a tree that took care of my sinfulness and made me a saint of God. Now, I don't look like a saint, maybe a Saint Bernard, but God has made me a saint. That's how God sees me. He doesn't see my sin. He sees the blood. Because Jesus said he's covered in the blood. And God sees me as a saint. He, he, he took all that tree, made a change. I like that old southern gospel song. He made a change in the way I was walking and the way I was talking. You know, and I, I obviously, I don't sound like a southern gospel singer. But the fact is, he made a change in my life that took my old morals and cleaned them up. Got rid of the old. Old things are passed away. All things are become new, as our friend Chad would say. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. God made a change in my life. And if you're without Jesus, He can make a change in your life. He can make a change in your life. Because He's a God of change. Jesus Christ took all the sin upon Himself became sin for me so I could be a saint. God couldn't even look at him. He turned his back on him. What an awesome thing. And look at the text says back in our text. And made the water sweet. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance. Now this word ordinance is also, in, in Scripture, I'll just tell you what it means. It means a judicial pronouncement or a, 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 the, the verdict from a court. That's what it means throughout Scripture. And the word statute actually is translated. We won't look it up, but I have the verse. If you want to look it up later, it's translated in 19.5, carve. What do you mean? Well, they carved in stone an ordinance there. And then the next verse says, and he proved them. Now, what does the word prove also mean? It means test. He tested them. I don't like it when God tests me. You know? I remember school... I wasn't doing very well. They had talked to my parents two or three years about holding me back. Holding me back. I was a young K-4 guy in kindergarten. Excuse me, I was four years old. I wasn't in K-4. I was in K-5 as a four-year-old. Graduated at 17. I struggled. I had ADD. I didn't, we didn't know what it is then. We just got spankings for it. And I, I couldn't handle school. I couldn't handle school, and I just couldn't retain anything. I just couldn't remember. And now, actually, I'm forgetting what I was going to say. But 
I, I just struggled so much those early days that I would oftentimes fail a test and the teacher would say, well, we'll let you take it again, those of you who did so bad, and I'd get a retake. You know God does that with us? When you fail a test in patience and you get impatient, guess what? You got another test coming. Until you learn to be patient, you're going to be tested over and over again. I took a lot of tests in elementary and middle school, maybe in high school. I don't remember that, but I needed retakes. God's going to test us, folks. And when you complain and murmur, he's going to test you again and again until you learn to be sweet. Oh, that sweetness. That sweetness. So look at here. It says he made us, proved them. He made a statute. And he said, and here's a great big word, if. If thou shalt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord. Now, that word hearken is translated elsewhere, obey. It's the Hebrew word shema. Don't worry about these Hebrew words. I said that one because it's on our magazines back there. I brought a bunch of old issues. It, it is translated three ways in your Bible. It's translated hear, listen, and obey. Hearken is another way you could say it. I just use hear. Hear, listen, obey, hearken. My dad used to say, you know, son, I want you to do that certain thing. Maybe it's cut the grass. I want you to cut the grass. Did you hear me, son? I knew that meant I had better obey. You know, the Hebrew word translates hear, listen, obey, because when God says something, he wants us to listen. Revelation, listen to what the Spirit says. Listen to what the Father says. The Word of God, listen to what it says. And he obviously means obey what he says. If you hearken, if you obey, then I won't allow the things that happen to the Egyptians to happen to you. Now, I didn't read it. I lost my place, but let's look. If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do, now Lord, all capital, C-L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's not Adonai, that's not Master, that's Yahweh. In fact, the Hebrew people got so scared of that word, they replaced it with Jehovah, taking the vowels Yahweh and the accent marched from Adonai and come up with Jehovah. They feared Yahweh that much. I'm so thankful that I don't have to fear Jesus. I fear him when I'm in sin, my heavenly Father is going to spank me. But you know what? I can call him that lovely name of Jesus, and I can say Jesus, 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 all I want to, because he broke that middle partition down. He rent the veil from top to bottom so I could go in the presence of God. But that's an awesome thing to think about. But, but here, the word Lord. The Lord thy God, Yahweh thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep, it can also mean guard his statutes. Uh, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought down upon the Egyptians. Now, don't take that out of context. I've heard televangelists say, yeah, if you're right with God, you're never going to get sick. It's not what that says. I've heard him preach that passage like that. It burns me up. <laughs> if I had preacher boys and homiletics or hermeneutics say something or do something like that, I would have called him into the class and I said, listen, please study. Don't, don't do that to God's word. Study so you're not ashamed. Because we're going to give account for everything we preach. And I hear some preaching sometimes and I think that poor preacher's got to stand before God on that one. That's scary to think about. Scary for me to think about. But it says specifically the diseases, the ten plagues he brought on Egypt. 
I won't bring those on you. If, if you do what you're supposed to do, keep my commandments, obey my statutes, listen to what I tell you to do. And the same thing is true today. If you don't obey God, he'll chasten you. That's a certainty of Hebrews chapter 12. Whom the Lord loveth, he whips. He chastens. Obey him. And look at the last line. For I am the Lord that healeth. That's Jehovah Rapha. In the New Testament, it's the great physician. We talk about healing. He heals us more than just physically. I believe he still heals, but he heals us sometimes emotionally. Sometimes he heals us spiritually, doesn't he? I mean, Jesus can do it all because he's the great I am. You know what that I am means? The pre-existent, self-existent one. He's always been, he's always existed. He wasn't created, he's always been. I have five kids. Four sons we had, and then we adopted a little Filipino girl in Okinawa. And God's chasing her a little bit. Uh, pray for her. She's not doing right in all things. She's growing and maturing, and she's starting to, you know, spend time with me. She's a good girl morally. I'm not talking about that, but she's just not walking with God. And I know it, and I see it. And I wish we could dub this out of the tape. Uh, but... <laughs> But she's a blessing. But you know what? I, I, she said to me, I know, Dad. God's going to spank me if I don't start living right. She's a wonderful person, and she's got qualities I don't have. Now I'm apologizing for saying this. One. But my point is this. No matter who you are, you're not, you're, you're not right with God because your mom and dad were right with God. You're not right with God because you were baptized. You're right with God because you obey him. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, obey me. It's not just good enough to put on a suit and tie and come to church. We spend all this time on the outer court. Great scholars tell us the tabernacle is like our human body. And I'll preach on that one day, body, soul, and spirit. In this outer court, we spend all the time on it. But in the Bible, the tabernacle, the outer court had the least important furniture. You know why? The most important time was time spent in the most holy place. That's where the solid gold mercy seat was. And that's where we need to get in our lives, spend time Getting your heart right with God. Prayer and singing and so forth. And I said I wasn't going to be long, and I am. And they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water, and three score and ten palm trees, 70 palms, and they encamped there by the water. Here's 12 wells. You think all the 12s in Scripture, the 12 and 12s in heaven, the 12 gates and the 12 levels, the 12 square heaven we're looking forward to and, the, and the, the 12 apostles and the 12 loaves left over and you know, all those things, 12,000 from each tribe. And then there were 70 palms. Think all the 70s in the Bible, the 70 followers in Luke, a disciple, 70 elders of Moses, the Sanhedrin. Great, great typology there. We don't have time for all that. But Elam means stronger strength. They came here a seven-mile trip from Mar to Elam. Just took them seven miles. And, and, and they were able to be by the water. They had gotten right with God, and God blessed them with this great spot with a lot of water. You know, it doesn't take long for you to get right with God. You can ride down the highway in about five minutes and make seven miles if you're going 70 miles an hour. And you know what? To confess your sins and get right with God doesn't take that long. I love 1 John 1, 9. You know, that priest had that initial washing 
But he also had to wash every day. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you don't have to confess your sin every day. If, that little word if again, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. That's the Greek word catheter. All you medical people know that catheter. Stick that in, all the gook comes out. Just like that, when you confess, your fellowship is restored because you're forgiven. Confess your sins. Get right with God. In conclusion, I just have a few things to say. Have you experienced that tree? That life-changing tree called Calvary? That old rugged cross? Have you tasted that water? The water of life. The water of the world. Have, have you tasted of the water that Jesus offered the woman at the well? Are you having a time of drinking bitter water? And you need spiritual or emotional healing today? Those are the questions I want to ask you. The altar's open. We're going to pray and sing a hymn. And I want you to feel free to come. And get on your knees and pray. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time today. And I just know that you always promise your word won't return void. In spite of me preaching it and you putting up with me, you still honor your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you today for salvation. Or come and say, I've battled with bitterness. Or I need to confess some things because I've lost my joy. Help to rejoice the, the, the joy of your help to restore the joy of your salvation to us, Lord. As we come to you today, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.